This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to tell you why the next fight that Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman should be in is a third fight against each other. We'll react to a hilarious moment where a dad tells his son he loves him so much on live television. Plus, we're going to give you an update in the fight brackets for maybe the most consequential moment of the entire bracket challenge itself. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 3 p.m. East Coast time, right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. I want to get to this. You know, uh, Cobb is full of terrible ideas 99.9% of the time, but sometimes he has a really good one. This is a very good one. Before we call him in, let me set this up a little bit. We were talking about different things to, to plan today's show. We didn't actually put this in the rundown, and then I saw this, and I was talking to Cobb about this during the break. I, I, it's amazing. Ray Longo still kind of hates Anderson Silva. Shouts to Ray Longo. He's a great dude. I'm not here to, to judge whether or not he should, should be that way. Um, but here's what he said. Let's backtrack a little bit. So, obviously, as you know, Ray Longo coached Chris Weidman. Blah, blah, blah. Anderson Silva said in an interview with the UFC that he flew to Las Vegas in 2012 to inform the, uh, you know Dana White and Lorenzo at the time he was going to retire. Silva was the middleweight champ at the time and was coming off a win over Stefan Bonner in the 2005 bout in Brazil. That was basically the end of the streak because the next fight he had was against Weidman. So in the video interview, the UFC legend said he was rewarded with a Bentley Continental GT by White and Fertitta shortly after that, something he felt as an attempt to buy him off. Silva, however, eventually agreed to enter an eight-sided cage again, going on to lose his middleweight title belt to Wyman in July of 2013. And frankly, you could argue has never really been the same since. Here is what Longo said on the MMA and Beyond podcast. I mean, so basically what he's saying is he's an effing whore. <laughs> and that's the moral of the story. And then for the rematch, they gave him a gift certificate to McDonald's. They let him have a shopping spree at Target for the rematch. They bought him out. Listen, I know you don't want to do this, but here's a gift card to Starbucks. I don't even understand what, the, what, what does that mean. Imagine that, though. When Dana and Lorenzo offered the Bentley and he took it, and then Lorenzo goes to Dana and says, S, we could have gotten him with the Chevy. We could have gotten him with an effing SUV, a Honda SUV. Why did we go to the Bentley, you effing morons? He's laughing, of course. Uh, the hell is going on. After he lost the first fight, he drove the effing Bentley into a wall. Let me call up Cobb here. Cobb, I don't quite understand the metaphor here. They gave him a shopping spree at Target for the rematch. What does he mean by that exactly? I guess he's just saying pretty much, you know, they they bought him off. He didn't want to do it. And they said, oh, just take this money and do it. And he took it. So hence, in Ray Longo's world, he's a whore. <laughs> yeah, he's a whore, accordingly, apparently, according to um, Ray Longo. So here's what I found so funny about this. All these years later, I mean, understand something about the Weidman team, bro. They came out on the good side of this both times. <laughs> both times they got the win. They knocked Silva out the first time, and then they, uh, you know, the, the 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 kick got checked in the second one, and that was the end of it. Now I understand that there's controversy about it. Was Anderson clowning? How much did that have to do with it? And then the second one, you know, who knows what would have happened? Obviously, Weidman since then, starting with the Luke Rockhold fight has had his own troubles and can't seem to get right. But I, I will tell you, I'm amazed that there is still this lingering animosity, or whatever you want to call this, between the camps. You don't seem as surprised? 
you know why? It's kind of because Chris Weidman, like you said, there was some controversy, and I think they feel like they never got the respect they should have gotten. I see. for beating Weidman. Twice. So, okay, yeah. So, so I'm speaking personally. I've always felt like I, I saw what I needed to see, but to your point, a lot of people didn't. That's how I felt too. I, I never saw anything in either fight that suggested to me that Anderson was a better fighter than Chris. Right. I think Chris was better and would have won every time they, they faced off. Right, and he was not the uh, cha- he was, was not the champion that Anderson was in that weight class. But when they met, you know, it was what it was. Yeah, and there was always that same thing. Like, oh, it didn't count. He was clowning. Like, it's like, well, Anderson Silva clowned a lot. Like, that was nothing new for me. He just happened to get caught doing it this time around. Right. And the second time, again, I didn't see anything before the leg break that suggested to me, like, man, Anderson's really putting it on, you know, Chris. I, right. I wonder what would have happened with a couple more rounds. I saw what I needed to say. Okay, fair enough. And we can, we can, we've had that debate a million times. We could relitigate it. But you had said something I thought really kind of true. Let's go back, if we can, for just a second and recap where we are here for just a moment. So let's talk about Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman has not had it easy. A million injuries to, to derail him, some more debilitating than others. But let's go back to that. So he beats Anderson Silva the first time in July of 2013. He beats him again in December of 2013. Again, all the controversy notwithstanding. He beat Lyoto at UFC 175, which actually ended up being a really good fight. Then he beat Vitor Belfort within an inch of his life in 2015. And then it just hasn't been the same. He fought Luke Rockhold at UFC 194. It went terrible for him. He got viciously KO'd by Yoel Romero. The Musasi fight, I realize, is controversial, but it did not go his way. Let's put it that way. He beat Kelvin Gastelum, who, who's a very good fighter, but just seemed to be physically overmatched in that contest, which took place in Long Island. And then he lost to Jacques Array via KO, and then tries to go up to 205, face Dominic Reyes. Turns out Dominic Reyes is an excellent fighter, and that was probably the worst kind of fight he could have taken to go up a weight class like that. So now he was going to go back down, Cobb. And going back down, he was supposed to fight in May... I believe, Jack Hermanson. He's supposed to fight Jack Hermanson. It fell apart. Then there was talks about him maybe having a rematch against Romero, which I would have advised strongly against. But okay, neither here nor there. You had come up with an idea where, why don't we just figure this out the right way? Why don't you have a third fight against Anderson Silva? Now, before I weigh in on this, what in your mind right now, in April of 2020, is the case for Weidman Silva 3. Okay. We were talking about this, I think, a week or two ago when uh, Weidman revealed some of the names he was talking about. And you were right. It was Romero, Hermanson. I think Shabazian was another one who looks like he might be a future killer. Right. And it was like, Chris, you're coming off a losing streak. Maybe don't jump to the you know deepest end of the pool here. So the point, I think, Anderson Silva, if he still wants to fight, he needs another name. I think this is a fight he'd want. Uh, and I also think it's a winnable fight for Chris, a, 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 still a big name, regardless, it's Anderson Silva. And if you can really go out there, leave no doubts this time around, it's a win under your belt, and then maybe you can start trying to figure out, figure out the next move. But I think for both guys, considering where they are in the pecking order and, and the losing streaks they've been on, this is actually the perfect fight to make. I love this fight. I love this idea. Again, you have normally ideas that are absolute basura. But this one, I think, is great. Let's recap where Anderson Silva has been. Since 2013, loses twice to Chris Weidman, beats Nick Diaz in a terrible fight, but it gets overturned due to having uh, Drostanalone and Andro... 
androsterone in his system. Plus, you know, Nick Diaz had probably a trash bag full of marijuana coursing through his blood. Then you had the loss to Michael Bisping, the loss to Daniel Cormier, which he took on short notice, but still. He beat Derek Brunson in a listless contest, loses to Adesanya, and then had a TKO uh, loss from leg kick issue against Jared Cannonier in May of 2019. Coming up on a year since we've seen him. Anderson Silva sits, by the way, at 45 years old. And Chris Weidman sits, let's see, at currently at 35 years old. But that's a long 35 if you want to add in some of the injuries he had before. Here's why I like this fight, Cobb. Two reasons. One, let us I guess you could say from either position. If you're Chris Weidman, you've got to stop the bleeding. You haven't had a win since you fought Kelvin Gastelum, which was a good one. But that was in 2017. We're coming up, if, if he doesn't fight in July, three years since he's gotten his hand raised. That's a very long time. Silva's a winnable fight, quite literally. We know it to be a winnable fight from t- 2013, but probably even today. It's a fight, if I'm advising Chris Weidman, the UFC comes to me and says, we want you to have a third fight with Anderson Silva. He might say, what have I got to prove? I've already beaten the guy twice. But to your point, one, there still is lingering controversy. You're not going to get 2013 back. Which is to say, if you beat him now, people will still say, oh yeah, but back then. But still, you beat a guy three times. How much can you really say, even with all the different circumstances? It helps a little bit in that regard, number one. Number two, it's a winnable fight. Number three, he does have still a bit of a name. Um, There is unfinished business. There's a story to tell behind it. If you're Chris Weidman, this is a great way to get back, I won't say on top, but I would say back on the right track. That's the point I would make. If you're Anderson Silva... What do you have to prove left to anybody? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The only real win you have is the Derek Brunson win from a similar time frame ago, three years plus. Was a not a great win. A controversial in and of itself, by the way. You could argue he didn't deserve it. But okay, he won. It's fine. What does he get out of this? You get a chance to like bucket list your way through the end of your career. Who's a guy that you lost to that you kind of want that one back? And again, you can't get 2013 back. You don't get those, you don't get that context back. You don't get that moment in time back. But what you might get is a chance to be like, at least I stuck it to you once. It's the same with Rampage and Vanderlei. You know, in the two fights I think they had in Pride, um, Vanderlei had his way. Let me go back and correct the record, if I, if I may. They finally fight a third time in UFC, and Rampage knocked his lights out. Do you remember that? And that was so satisfying for him. So satisfying he was able to do that. Yeah, let's go back here real quickly. So looking at Rampage's record... He fought Vanderlei Silva for the first time in 2003. He lost that one via TKO. He fought him again in 2004 and lost via KO that time from knees. And in both those fights, he had moments where he was doing well. Finally rematches him years later in the UFC and beats him with a UFC 92, knocked him out cold, and then fought him again in Bellator 206 and, not, and beat him again. They're 2-2. Two and two. Again, the first two don't necessarily mean the same as the other two, but as a source of pride for yourself, I got to tell you, it's a compelling fight. And it could easily co-main or main event a place depending on what you needed. You could actually do that reasonably well, even if there's no title up for grabs. And frankly, no title implication. Cobb, I love this idea. Yeah, and like even to the point you were making, it's, yeah, it's not exactly, you can't get 2013 back, and it's not exactly prime Silva. But on Silva's case, I mean, how many times did Manny Pacquiao fight uh, Marquez? Four. Was it four? Yeah. What's your lasting memory of that? Getting flatlined. Getting not not, yeah. the, not the first th- two, two and a half that he lost, basically. Exactly. So if you can win in a big way, maybe you erase it, 
And same thing for Weidman. If he can do it, you know, dominantly and, you know, I'm sure Silva's not going to clown around this time around. I would, at least I would think. I think he's going to try to fight him for real. And if you can beat him, maybe knock him out again, it's still a big feather in your cap. It's, yeah, see, this is what I told you guys about, you know, back in 2013 that I'm better than this guy. I always was. So I think it's a big, I think there's everything to gain and. No, there's risks. If you're Chris Weidman and you lose to Silva here, you will validate the trash talk from 2013. That's the problem. <laughs> That's why I stopped short. <laughs> yeah. For a second, I was but if, but again, it's a calculated risk because you beat the guy twice. He's certainly on the downswing. You know how to do it. It's a winnable fight. Um, and what's your what you, you want to? Here's what Chris Weidman wants. He wants to keep fighting these top contenders like Hermanson, like Romero, anyone that you know, like a Till or something. And it's like, dude, get a win under your belt and then go back into it. And maybe he feels like at 35, he doesn't have time to, to waste. And that's fighting Silva, something that's in the past, doesn't want to do it again. I get. I love it. I love trilogies. I love these things like this. I love how it could redefine, change expectations, you know, breathe life into it. The story of a fighter is told through their wins and losses, yes. But sometimes those chapters are tied to individual rivalries like Jones-Cormier. You know, like Rampage and Vanderlei, right? It changes the equation a little bit. And so uh, Pacquiao Mar- uh, and, um, and Marquez, the, the four times they fought. I love this idea. I love this idea. I think it's a great one. I just don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to buy it or anyone cares, but I love this idea. It's funny to me if you're Silva, too. Like, if, if I don't know what his desire is to fight anymore. I mean, he's been doing it for a long time, but I think if you give him this opponent, give him a lot, one last chance, and you can pull this win, it is the perfect way to say goodbye to MMA. I avenged this loss. I'm good. Thank you for all the memories. Take care, everyone. I think it's the perfect way to ride to the sunset. Yeah, it's a it's a great. It accomplishes what each guy needs it for. For Weidman, I think he still wants to compete a little bit. It gets him back on track, um, in a way that is like you get a name. You could be at the top of a marquee, and you don't have to fight some murderous killer at the top of that division right away. Off of a you know, he basically lost what five or so, if not in a row, um, five of his last six, I think. Something like that. And if you're Silva, it's a great way to sort of stick it to the rivalry. You lost two, but here's one back. Plus, as you noted, you can walk off into the sunset. And, you know, neither of those two fights lacked excitement. So, could be an interesting one. Really like that call. What what do you guys think about it? Hit us up on email, LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. This week on World of Basketball, Tony Ronzoni, the director of player personnel at the Dallas Mavericks, dropped by to discuss what it was like scouting a young Luka Doncic. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never encountered a kid at his age that had me, when I walked in the gym and I walked out as, this kid is special. I've never seen a kid with a swag and a no fear factor and a confidence level he had for a kid coming from a small country of Slovenia with two million people. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app and Pandora. So you guys remember, like, how long was this? A couple of years ago when this this expert was on BBC and his, his like, daughter came strolling in and then the baby came strolling in and then the mom in the background is trying to, like, take everyone out and it's just this calamitous moment on live tv it ended up going viral and everyone had a good laugh about it but that's happening like at a with a regular now it's happening all the time and what i'm about to play for you is absolutely real although 
That one ended where you're just kind of like, well, how, how can you be mad at the little girl, right? She's just, you know, she doesn't know any better. And the baby's just wheeling on in on one of their toys. That's just one of those things where it's like, and the mom was doing her best. It's just, it's calamitous, but hilarious. And there's, you know, you just sort of get it. Lock your door next time, I guess, is the answer. I'd say dad should have locked his door here as well, but he didn't. And so on a moment on live BBC TV, they've got, I don't know, some college professor giving some kind of historical analysis about, you know, the economic conditions of the Black Plague or whoever, you know, some kind of esoteric moment of scholarship. And his son walks in unwittingly and they had a real, what would you say this? bonding moment on the air if you're one of these people who thinks that the world is evil and life is terrible i've got great news for you this is going to warm your heart about how families bond in difficult moments through stress you know or i should say they bond from stress you know like pressure burst pipes it's true but here is one of those times where you know the in the end the story here is love okay story here is love here we go what would you say in those circumstances? Oh, I think you've got to. Fuck, I'm on, fuck off, I'm on live telly. Yeah, yeah, fuck off crazy. out of it. Get, stay out of my office. I want that fucking hell. Fuck off, you little twat. Sorry. Cobb, <laughs> oh, you won't believe this. I was actually on British television when I went to go tell my dad Happy birthday. Do you want to hear the audio of it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, this is me trying to tell my dad happy birthday. My dad happens to have a British accent. I don't know why, but check this out. What would you say in those circumstances? Oh, I think you've got to. I'm on, fuck off. I'm on live telly. Fuck off out of it. Stay out of my office. I want that fucking hell. Fuck off, you little twat. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> he berates his son and then the first person he says sorry to is the newscaster that's what makes the whole clip is that casual sorry like sorry. <laughs> like sorry about that idiot who just walked in sorry sorry that my son i wish he was never born sorry sorry about that is that not one of the greatest clips you've ever heard i love stuff like that it warms my heart to know that there are dads equally uninterested in their lives of their children as mine is that 100 percent confirmed that that really happened I'm going to say yes. I don't know. Just because you choose to? Well, I mean, I sent you the video. It looked pretty real to me. It did look real, but the the reaction is just so crazy. He's just cursing like crazy at this kid. That I was like, did they actually run with this? Like, Did they let this go on the air? If it's live, what choice do you have? I guess. It was just so funny. That visceral reaction (laughs) to a kid walking in. It's one thing to be like, you know, F off. And then he calls him a twat. That's the best part to me. Yeah, effing twat. You know he had been saving that one up. I actually love the kid's face. Like, oh, sir, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. I know the kid is like, my bad, dude. Jesus, and he walks out like he, you know, he wasn't trying to be there. He, but, but like, this is just so. I mean, there, there are kids who grow up in this world whose parents are like the most supportive, biggest cheerleaders, and I have always wondered what that's like because this is much closer to what my life was like growing up. And the level of positive reinforcement that I received, 
I am still out here trying to prove a point to get parental love that will never come my way, Cobb. It's really what the source of my career is. I have figured this out now, live on the air. The source of all your malice. <laughs> but there was one time I was at a friend of mine's house. My best friend in the world is Persian, Cobb. I don't know if I ever told you the story. And he had one of these houses where uh, it was a big house. And you walk up the stairs, and you could look over the stairs to the bottom floor. Like they weren't, there wasn't a wall completely separating, or a ceiling, I should say, separating every part of the second floor from every part of the first floor. Does that make sense? You kind of lean over. And we're sitting in his room with the door open because we were just, we were, we were not fucking around. We were just doing like homework. I think we had, you know, big AP test or some stupid shit coming up. And I remember he started chuckling. And downstairs, his parents were speaking Farsi to each other. And he starts rolling on the floor laughing. And I'm like, dude, what are you laughing at? And he was like, shh, 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 quiet, quiet, quiet. So we could listen to what they're saying because I guess they thought that our door was closed. And so, dude, he's literally gasping for air, dying of laughter. I'm like, dude, what could possibly be so funny as to make you react this way? His answer was that he and his mother were, or sorry, his, his father and his mother were talking to each other like laughing at how mad they were at themselves for having kids and how kids had ruined their lives. And they started joking about all the things they could be doing instead of taking care of their kids had they decided to just not have kids and how um, how they blame basically their kids for ruining their lives. <laughs> and we were just dying laughing. I mean, part of this is just an immigrant family thing too. You know, immigrant families are just a little bit harder on their kids in general than the normal ones but that was the that is how i understand parenting cop that is what it means to me to have a parent i don't know if that's the, exactly your experience so i guess we know who hurt you <laughs> this is what you're telling us right now yeah i mean what do you want me to say what i'm saying it's not true it's absolutely true this all absolutely happened see uh, what we figure out there in quarantine you know like will we just stop and think about it <laughs> one bbc crazy anchor just goes nuts and luke thomas figures out his entire life there you go. That is parenting in a way that I understand. I try to be sweet to my kid, though, you know, because here's the problem. I figured it out. I'm going to be the opposite of what my parents I'm not going to do what they did. And in the end, I'm going to have a spoiled, rotten childhood. Everyone's going to get pissed at all the time because I just won't be able to discipline her, you know? No, she's too adorable right now for anyone to get mad about it. So, <laughs> yeah, she was kicking me in the face at five in the morning last night. Wasn't anything adorable about it, let me assure you. I don't know how the listeners feel, but when she yells out as you're recording, I actually laugh every single time. <laughs> Dude, and they put her right outside my door. <laughs> like, literally, if you open the door, the first human you will interact with is her. It's like, can you put her on the other side of the kitchen, please? Maybe not screaming into my door that's not designed to withstand baby shrieks. <laughs> when I hear her ba-ba-ing away over there, it makes me laugh every time. And she's jibber-jabbering. Anyway, this clip is hilarious. I love everything about it. And to that young man I guess somewhere in England, I suppose, wherever that was, sir, I understand you. You will be okay. You might grow up to be a modestly successful MMA podcaster slash radio host. <laughs> um, you will constantly do things that will try to get your parents to like you. It won't work, but it may actually end up you know, instilling in you some decent... Uh, Work ethic, I suppose. The biggest names in the fight game are on the Ock and Barack show. Matchroom sports managing director, Eddie This is a global pandemic that is taking hundreds of thousands of lives globally. And I feel 
as much as we love sport, as much as we need live events for our business, we have to wait our turn. But what we can do is make sure that when that turn comes, we're ready. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. If you're a Fight Nation fan, then you must be a fan of hard-hitting fight movies, too. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. The Luke Thomas Show has put together the ultimate fight movie bracket to see which film stands above the rest. It's not tournament. It's for real. So go to at SiriusXM Fight Nation on Instagram to cast your vote and help us crown a champion. Now, let's hear about today's matchups. Luke Thomas show. All right, let's do this. We don't have time to waste. I rambled and rambled. So now we have our brackets challenge. We're into the second part of the semis. So we are in the home stretch. As you know, the man behind this operation is the man behind most bad ideas, except uh, Weidman Silva 3. It's Cobb. Hi, Cobb. How are you? Doing just fine. Happy to get to the home stretch of this thing. Yeah, I'm ready to put this behind us, especially now that the semis have been ruined with 57,000 Rocky fights. <laughs> Very true. And now that people weren't paying attention, and now I'm getting messages being like, dude, why isn't the fighter in there? What happened to the raid? And I'm like, you stupid, stupid people. You had your chance, you missed it, and now everything has been ruined. Thank you. Never there when, when, when we need them, but we come to our marquee matchup. It feels like Enter the Dragon is in one of these every single time. Uh, we have Enter the Dragon versus the original Rocky. That's where we are today? That's where we are today, yeah. What's your feeling on this one? If, here's the thing. If people are looking at the bracket, they may realize Enter the Dragon is the last non-Rocky movie left. So I'm hoping that's enough to push it forward. This is a tough matchup, but I don't know. I feel like the MMA faithful will get behind Enter the Dragon. I will tell you for me personally... Enter the Dragon means more. Enter the Dragon was a much more important fight movie, I should say, in my life than Rocky. Now, Rocky was big, and everybody loved it, but it did not mean the same to me to have prime Bruce Lee doing prime Bruce Lee things with uh, so many of the other cast of characters, Han, and who was the super cool bro- the black dude? Oh, uh- I had it in my head about a second ago. I can't get it now. Super chill. And then the other white dude, it wasn't so bad. And then Bolo was in that one as well, Bolo Young. There's just so many great, great characters. Such great music. It's it's just, a, it's you know, for a fight movie, they don't come much better. It holds up over time. Bruce Lee beating the bejesus out of that bearded dude, you know, just sending him flying into the rafters. It's just so great. Rocky doesn't mean as much to me, I'll be honest with you, uh, relative to that. And I've even seen the Rocky statue. I went there. I get that Rocky has a big impact on a lot of people. I've actually never been to Bruce Lee's grave. I've been meaning to go. I've never been. Now, would you agree that Rocky is the better movie, though, as we've had these little debates? I'd have to rewatch Rocky again because I've seen actually Enter the Dragon within the last couple of months. Prob... <laughs> It's not like Enter the Dragon is a bad movie. It's a great movie. You know, it's a great, great movie. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe I could say that. It's hard. Because it's not like it's not like it's like you know what we had uh, Raging Bull versus you know 
here comes the boom where it's like very yeah. clear <laughs> but uh it, it seems like an interesting question like would you call it the better movie of the two god i don't know that's a really good one um <laughs> i would i would but i i think also here's the, here, here's what i would say you say that there's not really a distinction there's a it's a real big i think and this is a, a grotesque overgeneralization but there's something to be said about one has a little bit more Eastern sensibility and one has a little bit more Western sensibility. And there's a bit of a clash there in terms of what aesthetic you might prefer. Uh, I don't know that I prefer one or the other in, in all ways, but in this particular case, I prefer the Eastern one because both are sort of like, one is like the defining sports movie and one is the defining martial arts movie. And there's a culture clash there. And I love sports, but I guess if forced to pick, I'm going to lean a little bit more in the martial arts direction. Um, so that's how I'm going to go. But I can see other people getting different ways about this. Yeah, I have forgotten all my feelings on this because I am just so bitter that Bloodsport got knocked out. I know, I know. If, this, if, it, if it was just Rocky versus Enter the Dragon, I might, I might honestly be saying the exact opposite of what I'm saying today. <laughs> I do not want when we set this thing out I thought there was a possibility but I thought it would be pretty slim that it would be an all rocky matchup I do not want that for the finals I want Enter the Dragon to just slay all the way through alright so I don't even know what to say at this point I'll just say I'll say I think Enter the Dragon should go to the finals I really believe that I think a rocky versus rocky finals is stupid um but maybe I'm only saying that because Bloodsport didn't go through. And I'd be saying something different otherwise. Boy, that Bloodsport thing really just ruined the whole show. I have to be honest with you. It really just damaged everything. It's it's amazing how one thing just destroyed this bracket. Everything else kind of went the way we thought it would with like a, a small surprise here and there. But that one just it really ruined the Final Four. So make sure that doesn't happen here. Go to at SiriusXM on, on Twitter. Vote on our poll there. You'll see a link to our Instagram account at at SiriusXM Fight Nation. Click our stories, vote there too. Let's make sure we don't have an all Rocky showdown here in the finals. There you have it, folks. Don't be dumb. Do this the right way. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from three to six p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel One Fifty Six. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on SiriusXM.